Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 39. My name is Dan Holzman and I'm your host, sending you happy holiday greetings to all of my listeners, especially to my sponsors, including the IJA, who can be found at juggle.org. Join the greatest group of jugglers in the world. Join the IJA today. Also, check out my own personal website, braindrizzles.com, for coaching and comedy writing needs. If you have any, I am your man. All right, let's get on to our podcast. Today's special guest, the amazing, the incredible, the juggler named Lucian Fuller. Welcome to the Drop Everything Podcast. This is number 39, and my special guest is Mr. Lucian Fuller. Hello, Lucian. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Great, great. We're talking over the holidays. It's a few days before Christmas. And where are you uh, calling in from? Right now, I'm actually just finishing shows today at Universal Studios Florida in Orlando, Florida. And what kind of shows are you doing out there? And how many, how many shows do you do per day? What's your schedule like? Uh, right now, it's really busy. It's actually the holiday season, so it is around six shows a day. Uh, the parks are packed. It is crazy. We actually just finished one of our 1,554th show. Now, how long are these shows? You're doing six a day. Describe to the audience what kind of show it is and how long. And I know there's a theme, so tell us the theme as well. <laughs> okay, so here's the theme. We're a bunch of fish market guys, and we're there to sell fish. But uh, at the end, we just pretty much do all this acrobats and juggling, and we never sell one fish. <laughs> so it's kind of like the, uh, like the Seattle fish market, but they made a little act out of it. Yep. So you're tossing around fish. And what kind of juggling stunts do you do in the show? Uh, I juggle on a 10-foot unicycle. I juggle uh, knives under my leg and do all sorts of crazy stuff, risking my life for others' entertainment. Is that one of your catchphrases? Yeah. Risking your life for other people's Absolutely. entertainment? Absolutely. That's, that's my life phrase right there. <laughs> And how do, you, how do you get on a 10-foot unicycle? Do you free mount it or do you, you climb on something to get on board? Yeah, well, uh, what we do is uh, I have a ladder and I uh, get up on the ladder and get on the 10-foot that way. We have a big ladder that I use. So. You don't jump down off that thing six times a day, do you? No, uh, I get back down from the ladder and then uh, go around the rest of my act. And then we have acrobats. We actually have a really awesome crew of guys. Acrobats and then I juggle and uh, we do it six times a day. It's a great show, and I definitely love working for Universal. It's been an awesome year, and hopefully we get renewed next year. And how do you stay sort of sharp over the six shows? Do you find yourself getting tired towards the end? Do you have any kind of a regimen you do to keep yourself from uh, getting burnt out? Actually, what I do is uh, I, I just made it this morning. It's this mean green machine. It's basically kale and green apples. So your secret's your green smoothie. Okay. Yeah, it, it, to be honest, it is awesome. What I do is I blend green apples and I blend kale and I do it every morning and I just drink that whole thing before the first show and I feel great throughout the rest of the day. But there's one more thing. Today okay. is my is my new thing. We all have a bet and uh, we're all taking cold showers. So today I took a cold shower and I was researching online and here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I heard cold showers give like your good skin and good hair and it increases your white blood cell count. And I got to say, man, it woke me up for the rest of the day. So tomorrow, I think I'm going to take another cold shower and, uh, you know, be ready to go for six shows. Well, this is what you want to do, Lucian. You want to alternate hot and cold showers. That's the technique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you do hot and then cold and hot and cold. And you end with a nice cold shower. So do, so do the alternating hot and cold a few times first before you go for <laughs> yeah. just the cold. Just jump right in the deep end, yeah. Because that's what Ignatov told me he did. He's... Oh, he, he always had two apples in his kale smoothie, too. So, But I think you're on the right track. I think you're on the right track. Are you talking about Sergey Ignatov? 
I'm talking about, of course, Sergey Ignatov. When we were training together. No, I'm kidding. I've never trained with Ignatov. I was just saying that your secret is your smoothies and your hot and cold showers. So for the listeners, you know, if they want to emulate the type of juggler you are, these are some of the tips that you can share with them. I actually trained with a lot of Russian jugglers in my early days of juggling. And one of my awesome experiences was meeting the man himself, Sergei Ignatov, at the 1998 Prim Nevada IGA competition. Yeah, I was there too, but I didn't really spend too much time with him. What was your experience like with Ignatov? Well, it was awesome, man. All right, so here's the thing. First off, as a young performer, I was really young getting into juggling, and I, just like everyone else, you go to your first IJ and you're like, oh, man, you think you're like the best juggler in the world, and then eventually, wow, your eyes are open. And when I got there, I got to see Vladimir Stupov, I got to see Sergey Ignatov, and I pretty much was just shocked. I mean, I saw these guys that looked like from a different world. Had you seen them on any kind of a videotape or anything? I mean, were you always fond of the Russian jugglers? Yeah, yeah. I actually, um, before that, before I even went to IJA, uh, I used to uh, be with a lot of other Russian friends of mine that were performing. And one of my friends, was uh, his name is Valeri, he actually had a chair act. And he gave me all these awesome VHS, like back in the day, VHSs. <laughs> back in the day, and sure. I, yeah, right? And so I'd watch all these videos of Cirque du Maine, And they had everybody. They had Vladimir Zarkov. They had Victor Key. You know, Victor Key, when he first did his, before Jalion, he did a three-ball act. There was uh, all these amazing acts of Chiffon, German Wheel. Uh, you had chair acts, everything. And I would watch all these videos. And then I saw the Moscow Circus videos that he gave me. And I saw Sergey Ignatov, Alexander Keys, all these really old videos. And at an age, I would say about, um, at that time, I was around 16. It was just, it was mind-blowing. So when I saw him in person, it was awesome. The next day, I, a friend of mine was like, hey, man, let's go have some, uh, let's uh, have some breakfast. You know, went to the buffet. And uh, he's like, I have a guest that's going to sit with us. And uh, it was Sergey Ignatov himself. Well, that must have been a real thrill. Now, Cirque du Maine, you mentioned before, that's a big circus competition that they have for the, the top circus acts in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cirque du Maine is one of the big competitions for sure. I, I loved watching all these videos. When I was a kid, man, I, I mean, I, I basically, how I started juggling was I actually juggled with oranges. I have a big brother, and he taught me how to juggle three oranges. And what's your big brother's name? Your name is Lucian. So what kind of name does your, your bigger brother have? Well, I have a big brother. I have a sister. And I have a twin brother. Oh, okay. And my twin brother's name is Lance. Uh, my big brother's name is Eugene, and my sister's name is Rena. And then, obviously, I, my dad, uh, he's from California. He's a, kind of a surfer kind of guy. And my mom, she's from Poland. She's from Zakabatic, Poland. So I like to call myself, I'm, I'm a half uh, Polish bear, half American eagle. Half Polish bear, half American <laughs> eagle. And is Lucian a family name? Because I don't think I've ever heard uh, the name Lucian before, except for, from you. Well, so here's the thing. My dad loved Luciano Pravarotti. And so what happened is that he always wanted to name me Luciano. But my mom loved Lance a lot. You know, she was in the <laughs> okay. nights and stuff like that. So what she did is she named my brother Lance, but uh, we decided to call him Lanson. And my dad took up the O and called me Lucian. So it's Lucian and Lanson. Cool. Cool names. And what did, what did your parents do? Were they, were they in show business at all or uh, had other kind of professions? Actually, my dad, he is a, uh, was a salesman back in the day, and how we first started was we, we always go to these uh, state fairs, and we would sell things, and he actually sold American Indian jewelry at the time. So one of my first experiences with juggling, after I learned how to juggle three oranges, I went to the uh, Wisconsin State Fair. I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I, I found uh, this uh, devil sticks, 
and I started juggling it. Now, this is the first time I actually was aware of juggling. So I started walking around. Had you seen like juggling on, I mean, aware of juggling, had you seen juggling on TV or you just found some devil sticks? I had some devil sticks, right? And so I found some devil sticks. And I was like, what are these things? And so I messed around with them, right? Okay. After a while, I started juggling with them inside the state fair. There were bands playing, and then eventually I started getting a crowd. And so I started going up to this band and playing in front of them. And they were like, oh, that's awesome, man. Sooner or later, one of the guys says, hey, you have to check out this team juggling act. And I was like, oh, yeah, where are they at? They're like over by the stadium theater. I was like, okay, cool. So I run over to the stadium theater, and guess who it is? Um, Gizmo guys, maybe, or... Uh... Yes, the Gizmo guys. Okay, it's Barrett Felker and Alan Jacobs. That's a, they're a great team, sure. So what happened is that when I was uh, with Barrett Felker and Alan Jacobs, I pretty much saw their show every single show that day, and I was in awe. You weren't that fair kid that sometimes goes to every show and then starts getting bored and starts heckling. Because I've done fairs where there was always that kid's show. You weren't that kid, were you? No, I was like, I was the kid that would just sit there with his mouth open to awe and just watch the whole thing. Like, I wouldn't even speak. I was trying not to breathe because I wanted to see every part of what Barrett Felker was doing with the, with the Diablos. He did the ball bouncing. I mean, this was one of my first things. I was probably 16 at the time before I went to IJA. Well, they're top pros. I mean, they don't come to many festivals or do a lot of promotion amongst jugglers, you know, with videos or stuff like that. Barrett Felker was one of the top pros I saw first off in my career. He was actually working with the Harlem Globetrotters. Wow. This was before I was even a professional. And I saw him and Martin Lamberti were the two acts. Oh, that's awesome. And this was probably 1979, like even before the 80s. So Barrett wow. Felker goes way back, and so does Alan Jacobs with a act called Slap Happy. So both those guys go back 35 years or so. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, the Slap Happy, even when they had a, even a, a bit on a HBO special, like a Young Comedian special, I think in the early 80s. So Slap Happy was a pretty successful act. And then Alan, of course, teamed up with Barrett. And Barrett at one time was teamed up with uh, Keziah Tannenbaum and Peter Davidson. Before Air Jazz, they were called the Magnificent Material Movers. Barrett was replaced by John Held. And of course, they became Air Jazz. Wow, that's super cool, man. A little juggling history for you, Lucy. A little, little yeah. juggling history from an old man like myself. I'll check that out. All right. Nah, you're not old. You're not that <laughs> old. You still look young. Well, thanks, Lucian. Thanks, man. For, for a man in his 80s, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So now let's go back to this uh, meeting with Ignatov because do you have a buffet and you don't know who the guest is? I was in this Ignatov. Did you ask him any, any questions? How did you feel he was as a person? Oh, man, he was awesome. Oh, one second. Let me tell you one thing about Barrett Felker, though. I met him after the stage with Alan, Alan Jacobs after, like, probably the third show I watched. Finally got the chance and the nerves to walk and talk to him. Super nice. And these guys were awesome. I was like, listen, this is something I wouldn't do for the rest of my life. How do you guys do this? You get to travel all over the world and just get paid to do it? And they're like, yeah. You know? So the next day, I went to uh, the Mall of America, and they had this really cool store that had juggling props. And I saw – check this out. Barrett Felker's face on Diablo book. I don't know. So whoever's listening to this probably has the same book. I found that book and I was like, no way. So then I took the book. I obviously paid for the book. Pay for the book. If you say so, Lucian, if you say you paid for it, we believe you. All right. I got the, I bought a Diablo. I think that was a Dave Finnegan book, I think, or maybe Todd Strong. I think that was the Diablo book by Todd Strong, I think. Okay. Well, I memorized every single picture on the way back home. At this time, I was living in New Mexico. So we drove from uh, Wisconsin, back to New Mexico with my dad. And at every gas station, I would get out and learn a new Diablo trick. And then at the end, I pretty much learned all these crazy tricks with Diablo. 
Uh, and that's eventually, once I started learning Diablo, I went to this magic juggling shop and I would go and try to learn more and more props. That's how I kind of started first my my life of juggling, pretty much. And then eventually that's when I went to that IJA to saw saw Sergey Intop. Now back to Sergey. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to Sergey. So you're at the you're at the Prim Nevada. To sit with him. You see how I like see how I did that? Like did a little little circle there. And now back to Sergey. Check this out. This is the best part, right? I go to the the, the breakfast and I see Sergey Intop. And I'm like, wow. But wait, right next to him yes. is his daughter, Katya. And I'm like, oh my God, she's. Beautiful. I remember she had an act too. She would she would juggle, I think, on a rolling globe and do uh, yeah, yeah, some pretty yeah, good juggling. These big balls too. She juggled these big balls. She did rings as well. And so to me, I'm like, oh my God, a girl that juggles, that's awesome, you know, right? And she was probably what in her early 20s or maybe uh, 19, 20 years old or something. In her teens, yeah, in her teens. And I was in my teens, you know. So I'm sitting there. Just listening Were you to crushing on Ignatov's daughter a little bit? Is that what's happening? Here? <laughs> no, I was very, I was very professional. Just kind of listening to what he had to say, and you know, and being very polite. And one of the things I got from his conversation is, I just want to share with you guys, is that he was always saying juggling is maximum relaxation with maximum concentration. And to this day, I use this in my act as much as possible. Before I go on stage, I think about that. Let's repeat that. So you're saying maximum relaxation with maximum concentration? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not relaxed, you will not get the speed you need, especially if you want to do what Sergey did, 11 rings for 22 catches. I mean, stuff like that, you have to be relaxed. If you tense up, you slow down. Right. So keep your muscles relaxed, but at the same time, relaxation combined with ultimate concentration. Wow, what a uh, dichotomy, what a uh, yin and yang kind of philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, like it makes so much sense to what I do in my juggling now. Sure. But I, I learned so much of this philosophy because I actually grew up with a lot of Russian performers and a lot of, you know, circ performers more than of just being an American, learning more of the, the American style of juggling. And I, I really have learned a lot of that kind of technique of just putting a different regiment, a schedule, preparation, landing a certain amount of tricks or landing a certain amount of things in practice, and then putting that. I, I would say the Moscow way of learning. Their, their circus school is very uh, strict, but it's also very, very helpful and efficient to creating an act solid. Because what, it, what it's about is not just about doing the juggling and the tricks. What's about more is about getting the performance solid enough. You would obviously have a director or uh, someone looking over you, a coach, and it was just night or day. And I was so lucky to have that experience when I was a young kid. Well, let's go back to that experience then, because you're saying that you had this, this uh, meeting with uh, Ignatov, but you actually studied with some Russian jugglers. How, how'd that come about, that experience of studying with the Russians? Okay, yeah. Um, well, first off, when I got back to uh, Prim Nevada, I was super stoked, just like everyone, very pumped to juggle. And I did my first talent show. I was actually a freshman in high school. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this juggling for real. I go to the high school. I'm the only freshman. at all seniors. When I went there, I did a dress rehearsal. And as a juggler, they're like, okay, come on stage. And they give me like five seconds. And they're like, okay, you're done. I'm like, what? And all the dancers. <laughs> Just the five bands. seconds to juggle? That's all yeah, you got? Right. The, uh, as, as, re as rehearsal, right? Oh, as rehearsal, I got you. As rehearsal. There's a show. But everyone else got a full rehearsal. So they were like, oh, well, he's just a juggler. No big deal, right? Oh, like take a look at the lights, then get off the stage kind of thing. So what I did is I got home and I was like, you know what? I'm going to show these people. So I practiced for like four or five hours. So like one in the morning, got the next day. I went there. I did my act. At this time, I was doing kind of a, a swing act with juggling, uh, balls, clubs, a little bit of rings and some Diablo. 
And I went there, I had a couple drops, and I was kind of a little upset when I walked off stage. When I was backstage, I was kind of like, oh man, I was kind of down on myself. But I kept a smile, I kept my passion, I loved it when I was on stage. The audience was laughing, they were having a great time, they were smiling. At the end of the whole talent show, uh, they say, third place goes to this guy. And then second place was this crazy breakdancer troupe that was like doing all this like black light stuff. And I was like, oh man, you know what? I'm probably not going to get it. So you didn't think you even got in the top three, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's a buddy of mine to this day, Mike Bird. I'll never forget. He was doing ventriloquism and he had a thing called Willie the Kid. Dummy was Willie the Kid? Is that who this dummy was? If you're out there, Mike Bird, if you ever hear this, man, like I really, <laughs> Willie the Kid, dude, he was hilarious, man. And he was just doing all this funny stuff, but he was, he was on the, he was backstage with me and he was kind of like consoling me like, hey man, you did awesome out there. It was crazy. I was like, don't worry about it, man. Thank you very much. And then first place goes to Lucian Fuller. And the that's whole like a movie. Class. It's like a, like a high school movie. <sighs> oh my God, man. I just <laughs> melted. I went on stage, the whole crowd jumped up and I'm like, oh wow, this Were is for my Lucian, juggling act. Lucian, the cheerleaders are looking at you all different. And, is that what happened? Yeah. yeah. It was pretty nice crazy. Moment, but... Hey, I bet you that's a really nice moment. I really, uh, once again, very encouraging in your early career as a juggler. Absolutely. When I welcome on this, basically this moment, just like if those are listening to this, everyone has had that moment. You have had that moment. Everyone that, that as a juggler has I had, wish that, I moment had that, that moment. I that moment, man. What no, this mean? moment. I wish. This, this is the moment I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is th- at this moment, I said to myself, I want to be a professional juggler. I want to do this for the rest of my life. At that moment, I was feeling so good on stage with the crowd. And you've had that moment. Everyone's had that moment where you're just like, you know what? I love this. I love this. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And that was a point where it changed me. So I decided to go and practice a lot more. I moved to Orlando, Florida. Because you're moving so much because your dad's a salesman. Is that what's happening? No. I mean, it was my dad at that time, you know, he was doing different things. But my mom actually moved over to Orlando with her job and got situated. And we just wanted something different. Uh, we wanted to do colleges here. Uh, there's Uni- University of Central Florida. There's Florida State. There's a lot of different great opportunities for college. My big brother... First off, my, my whole family are drummers. My dad's a drummer. My big boy's a drummer. My brother's a drummer. And I was the only one that played guitar and bass. So we all like music. And how do you feel that music uh, relates to juggling? Do you think that gave you an advantage, like maybe rhythmically or coordination-wise? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel music is the soul that has helped me as a juggler. Even, I, you know, even the best, right? Anthony Gatto. He's, he played drums. When he was a kid, you know. So as a juggler, I'm not sure I even knew that he played drums. Yeah, yeah, he played drums as a kid, and I met Anthony Gott. I knew he uh, liked to box or like use the heavy bag to practice boxing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know he lives here in Orlando now. So I know, I know. I wish he was uh, more involved with the juggling community. He's he sort of put it put behind him to uh, start a company and you know be with his family, which I understand. Absolutely. I mean, he's you know he's definitely the world's best for sure. He's amazing. And I think I've said on the podcast before that people can say that he wasn't the greatest juggler the world's ever seen, uh, but they'd be wrong. So I think he's the best that's ever been. Even though I just was watching this new West Peden mm-hmm. video that he's done yeah. for these clubs, these PX4 clubs. Is, he's doing awesome, man. And it was I'm insane. So it was an insane video. Uh, just trick after trick that was blowing my mind. So, uh, you know, I've asked Wes to do the, the podcast. But Wes said he's not much of a talker. Well, Wes, if you're listening to this, do the podcast. Definitely, man. Wes is a cool guy. I've met him. Uh, when I was in Sweden uh, on tour, I went to Circus Secor. I was there, and I uh, was like, hey, is Wes here? And I saw Wes, and I was like, hey, what's up, Wes? You know, uh, I'd love to see you some, do some juggling. He's like, all right, cool, man. Well, I'm going to go do a, a juggling session right now. If you want, you can just sit in. And so basically, he went in and did like an hour's worth of juggling 
nonstop, just pretty much put on his tunes and threw it down and threw it up and did all this crazy <laughs> stuff for an hour. And I'm sitting there, no one else around, just me watching Wes. And I'm like, wow, like this is hardcore. And I'm telling you, man, that guy practices hardcore. So I, yeah, I have mad respect for Wes. You know, he's, he's definitely one of the, the big top guys out there. And I'm so happy for him. And I'm so happy to watch a lot of his cool videos. And of course, Anthony, Anthony is, is doing a thing now. He's got a family and he's here in Orlando. And so do you ever, you ever see him or is that somebody that you're not in uh, contact with at all? Just uh, admire yeah. from afar? I'll tell you what, man, if Anthony's listening to this, I would love the ad to see him and hang out, but you know, he's probably busy doing stuff. I was lucky enough to meet him backstage at Lanuba and see him perform live. And you know, he signed my club and we got to talking a little bit. That, that was awesome. Let me guess how many drops he had in his show. I'm guessing zero. Absolutely. <laughs> zero. You know, that's what's great about Anthony. That see, here's the thing. People always are like, oh yeah, being a professional juggler. But being a real professional juggler is doing it like Circus Slay always says, you know, you gotta do it three hundred and sixty-five times out of three hundred and sixty-five times. It's not just that one moment. And Anthony does it with the big crowd, under the lights, under the pressure every time. That is so important to me. Like I'm all about when I create my acts, I wanna have something solid that I've created a uh, routine with the tricks that I know I can do 15 times out of 15, you know, solid enough where there's no drops. And these are things I've been taught, but it's, it's so important to land everything. You know, Anthony is just a God with that. Well, it's like you were saying before, it's this, this idea of relaxation and tension. It's one thing to juggle in the gym when there's nobody watching, but when you get tense, when you get nervous and your arms start to seize up. So I know for myself, that was one of my big problems. Uh, when I was doing seven back to back with my partner, Barry, is uh -huh. that I'd always be nervous about that trick and my arm That's would kind of stiff. It looks good. It's a nice trick. It's not that hard, but I, I would tend to over flip because I would get really tense in my throwing arm. Right. So right. You, even a trick that you can do a hundred times in practice, it's that ability to pull it off in public, pull it off in a high pressure situation that to me really is one of the signs of great juggling. Absolutely. And you know, it all comes down to good form too. You know, if you have great form, and you're doing the same trick and consistency, you're definitely, your body's gonna, gonna learn this. And Anthony, if you watched a lot of his videos when he was a kid, doing his eight-year-old thing on YouTube, he's got a great, great act when he was eight years old, and you look to nine years old, and you looked when he was in his teens, juggling in Las Vegas, until you look to now at Kuza, and you look out to uh, Lanuba, his act doesn't really change. There's a lot of tricks in there, obviously they're kind of the same, but now, the older he gets, it's just the high quality and the level of tricks get bigger, you know what I mean? Sure. There's a level of solidness, too, that, that you only can get with maturity. I mean, it, it does change in the way of high-level tricks, but I would say that there's, there's a variety of things. When you look at it, it's a lot of the same, the five-ball routine and then obviously the five clubs. Well, there's, there's a base that was always there. There was a base that he built up from. And, and that's important to do in any of your acts when you're, as a professional, doing a practice routine to doing a rehearsal and then going on stage. That's, that's very important. So let's get back to the Lucian story. So you go back to Orlando, and now this is where you're going to start studying with some of the, the, the Russian circus performers. Uh, yeah, okay. So here's the thing. I go to Orlando, Florida, and there's this uh, amazing place called Universal Studios Florida. And I'm like, okay. wow. I went to high school at Dr. Phillips High School. And Dr. Phillips High School is on the other street side of Universal Studios Florida. So I was looking at it, and I was like, you know what? I got to get over there. I got to try to try something. There's this thing called the... Universal Summer Stars uh, Talent Showcase. I went in and I tried it, and I won one of the first weeks. I did like my swing act and juggled. And when you say swing act, you're saying because that's because you're performing to swing music. Is that what a swing act means? Okay. I guess I'm I'm saying that because I've performed to Big Bad Voodoo Daddies. You know, Go Daddy O. Gotcha. And I, 
I did a go, whole like, you know, go. Okay. yeah, I like, danced music. around and got the music going and I had lots of energy. Yeah, good, good upbeat and, music. And I like swing music. Shaking my butt for the ladies, you know, doing my whole little thing. Okay, just for the ladies. Uh, that's a bit sexist of you, but okay. <laughs> okay, so I did the showcase, and to make a long story short, I won the whole thing. I won the grand finale. Uh, there was a band playing. There was all sorts of people singing and so forth. And my act, yeah, my swing act, uh, shaking my butt, won the whole thing. So I'm very happy with that. Normally, the, the juggler you know, we, we see in talent contests is always beaten by the singers or dancers. But I guess your combo swing dance, butt shaking is... Uh, too powerful to resist. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, so I won, and then when I won, there was a lot of agencies uh, that were wanting to uh, hire me for different events. And one of the agencies at that time, Cirque du Soleil, just actually opened the, their doors in Lanuba early, like around that year. So they were very new. So Cirque was huge. It was blowing up, especially in the corporate event world in Orlando, Florida. There was a lot of conventions we have. And one of the things is that there was a, one agency that wanted to put together a Cirque show, uh, and they were doing a show with lots of performers. They had German Wheel Act, they had Chiffon Acts, they had Hand to Hand, they had Chair Acts, and so forth, and they wanted a juggling act. But the juggler that they had, he wanted to do a special act with another juggler. So they tried a couple of jugglers, and at that show that I did, that I won, someone approached me and said, hi, would you like to work with one of our jugglers? He's looking together to put together a Cirque show. Before you go on, Lucian, people should know that Cirque du Soleil, in addition to having their regular shows, they do a lot of corporate specialty work. Like they do a lot of private events under the Cirque du Soleil umbrella. So this juggler is like working in, under that capacity. Absolutely. So you had this opportunity. They said, do you want to work with a Russian juggler? And of course you were saying yes very quickly, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. They said they want to work with this Russian juggler. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I know of Sergei Hagenetov, all these great jugglers. And then I meant, then there's one time where I went to the office with the uh, agent. We're talking over the over the phone, and I was like, "Okay, we're gonna put you on speaker three-way with the uh, other juggler." And I puts on the juggler. I was like, "Hi, uh, Vladimir Zarkov. Hi, this is Lucian Fuller." And I was like, "Wow, oh my God, I'm gonna work with Vladimir Zarkov." And I remember those videos when I saw earlier Vladimir Zarkov. You remember the Red Harlequin? Well, there was a famous video. Like I, like yourself, we used to watch a lot of VHS tapes, and of course we saw Franco and Cremo. But there was this act of a, of a Russian juggler who's dressed like a red harlequin in white makeup, like a sort of a toy yeah. soldier. He had yeah. those large rings. And he was one of the first jugglers I saw that really combined a lot of sort of mime and acting with his juggling. Yeah, well, he essentially he was a puppet. And the idea was that he was doing a lot of miming, but he was more of a puppet. And then he became alive and then within the act. And so this time he moved from, uh, he was doing shows at Rancali in, in Germany and all these shows in Europe. And he decided to move to Orlando because he was uh, raising his kids and so forth. And he wanted to put together a show. And I felt very thankful to meet him and be part of him, uh, of his act and work with him, under him. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a life-changing experience for me. I came from a variety style. What kind of tricks did you guys work on together? Like club passing or what Yeah, was we it? did some club passing and I obviously, we did his rings and he did some styles. And I, I was really good at Diablo at the time, so I did some Diablo stuff. And then we did some really uh, unique stuff with balls. But the most important thing was that the act was very Cirque style, you know? So I got to really get my hands into putting on makeup, doing different styles of makeup. I mean, his act, he has a lot of like white makeup and, and different ways of doing things. So to me, it was, it was a big thing to kind of go from kind of, I wouldn't say like American style, but more of like just a variety juggler style to more precise into, you know, okay, this is a, an act that we want to do with a story, a specific theme, specific Cirque style. And at that time, 
I recently just saw Kidam. Kidam was a touring show, and I was in love when I saw my first Cirque du Soleil show. And then I was watching on TV Bravo of Dralion. And at that time, Victor Key was was on that uh, as a juggler. He was on Dralion. And I remember I would, like, put my VHS tape in the, in the VHS player and, like, record that. And then I was watching that over and over and over. But then one horrible day, my VHS broke. And I was like, oh, no, I can never watch <laughs> Victor Key again. But thank God for YouTube, right? So sure. that was awesome. So how long did you have to put this act together? I mean, was this something you had several months to work on? or And what kind of practice schedule did you have with uh, Vladimir Zarkov? We had a gig, actually, two months later after we met. And so we had a gig, and um, I think it was in Denver. Oh, yeah, it was in Denver, because I remember we played right next to the uh, the Rocky Stadium. So wherever that was, there was this huge party, man. It was like a big tent and circ performers and so forth. So we were going to do this act, and we had kind of a bla- black and white theme. So we decided to put together an act where I would obviously do some Diablo and we did some club passing and some balls. But what was so great about working with him is that I just learned a lot about what he was taught in the uh, Moscow State Circus. I learned a lot about how to uh, be technically like with, with my with my body position. I learned from a straight eight, from a first young age, what I feel so thankful for is that juggling is not always about throwing things in the air. Juggling is more about your body position. And if you have your feet shoulder width apart, your chest up and your and your hands relaxed, your muscles are pretty much, uh, you know, you, you should work out, but you should work out to a point where you feel that it's comfortable. You know, you don't want to strain yourself. So at a young age, I was taught to kind of like focus on my body posture, focus on my technique. It wasn't like, for instance, Russians are about if you're, you're uh, if you catch the ball and it's like two inches away, they're like, no, no, you have to like correct it. You know, there is no, oh, maybe we'll try it again. No, it's like yes or no. Very, very strict. But in a way, it was very, very like an awesome thing because I was able to get the right technique and circus Kiev, uh, later on, I met Victor key. His whole thing was like, you have to throw it straight up and everything was more higher throws. If you look at Anthony Gatto's pattern, his is a little bit, it crosses in a lower angle. If you look at Russians pattern, they cross a little bit of higher points. So I started learning about point systems where like, if you throw it to a four height to a six height to an eight height, and then you want to hit those certain points, the higher you go. And these are things that really got my technique like solid, especially with my five clubs and seven balls. How long of a, during the day would you practice with him? Like, like two or three hours or what was your practice regime? Well, a lot of times, yeah, we'd practice like sometimes five, six hours a day. We would do a thing where we'd go to his house and he had this big house where he actually had a huge mirror and uh, inside he had the carpets, which is the best. Did you have the green, green kale smoothies at this point or no? <laughs> no, the, the, the kale smoothies are later, yeah. So you had this pure, pure, pure energy and a enthusiasm got you through these long sessions no we had we had the russian vodka of course <laughs> only on the weekends only on the weekends only on the weekends okay so like you're talking about the russian system and a lot about body positioning yes 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 and you talked about the feet being shoulder width are there other particular points you can kind of share with us about the the russian training system well the first thing i did is like i remember when i went to the um, prim nevada and i saw sergey Nitsov, i also met vladimir stupov and i met his dad anatoly mega stupov and within there i was able to call uh vladik when he was in las vegas and he actually sent me a bunch of his balls so that was one thing that vladimir was using and the russian schools are using a lot of the russian balls and that was super new a lot of people were just using the bean bags and so forth sure. at that time and so i was able to get these russian balls at a very young age so what the Russian balls helped was is it allowed you to create more circles in your pattern. Now, by Russian balls, you also mean the ones that are like half filled yes. with, a, with a sand or some kind of pellet. I hear, I hear they're more stable in the air. Like the, the reason that people like them is that they, that they, they have more stability. I, I don't use them myself. What are the advantages of those balls versus like a bean bag or a, a, 
silicon or the crossball? Well, the great thing about Russian balls is there's two things that are great about them. First off, they stay in your hand. So if you actually open your hand up, they will stay there. They don't roll away when they hit the ground. That's very important. Another thing is that when you throw the high in the air, there could be a small wobble, but that's how to correct that is you put more weight in it or not, but you get to pick the weight you really want and also still have the look on stage of a solid ball. You know, the bean bags it kind of look like a bean bag. And if you had white balls and you dropped them a lot sooner or later, you couldn't use those for stage because they just weren't white enough. They were kind of like brown. So the, the white, I, I really like the, the Russian balls because I was so used to like my technique well, when you juggle, you kind of have small circles. So I was able to get more in the rhythm. And then since, you know, I lived with a family of musicians and drummers, it was so helpful for me to kind of listen to that. And if my pattern, like for instance, seven got off, you know, then I knew I was off sync. Because you can hear the sound of the Russian balls hitting your hands. Exactly. So high to the left. And so these are the things Vladimir was kind of helping me teach. Like, I mean, uh, teaching to me, you know, just like, okay, listen to the rhythm. Okay, listen to this. All right, now put your, put your arm, keep your arm straight, you know, focus on, you know, making sure, like even with your muscles, like making sure like your forearms are very relaxed and then throwing the throw, making sure your technique is good. If you feel like, you know, you're a little bit off technique, that's maybe because your body position is not right. So I was always focused on correcting my body position. And, and later on, when I went, met, like, you know, Mio Dahl and other people, like, in Sweden, I was on tours and stuff, juggling, I, they were saying the same thing, you know? They were saying all the same stuff, that, that it's all about your body position when you juggle, not just about going and throwing, to just do the trick now. So that really was very, very helpful for me, just with the ball. Juggling is a full-body activity. Like, a lot of people, they sometimes forget about the other parts of their body except for their arms, like the, the posture, the, the expression. It's so funny. I was thinking the other day about how people were this like a resting face, like they call it resting bee face. I won't say the word when people look angry for no reason. Uh huh. But like a resting juggling face, like a lot of people when they juggle, they tend to have like a weird expression, like a like the, their mouths <laughs> agape and they're like looking like like they're focused, but they're not exactly want to sort of present on stage. Like their resting juggling face is sort of a a slack looking thing, you know where. where some people have like sort of an enthusiasm or excitement when they juggle. Yeah. Because they think of it as sort of a full body, including the face and expressions. Was Vladimir kind of interested in the, like the expressions you had as well as, as the body positions? To be honest, we did more exercises where I would juggle and he would say, okay, now smile. Okay, now make a crazy face. Okay, make a sad face. He was more important about how I looked on stage than about the tricks because that's what he was all about, about the character. Yeah. Yeah, that some people, when they juggle, it's like they, they put no attention into how they're expressing themselves through their features, you know, through the through their eyes and through their mouth. So that's really important. I'm glad that he was something uh, that that's something he also agreed with, the, the importance of that. To be honest, it's quite difficult to keep a smile the whole time and still do five clubs, or you know, if you want to work on seven balls and keep that same thing without holding your mouth open. You know, these are things that when I was juggling, he was like, okay, don't don't open your mouth. Okay, little things while he will watch. Okay, keep your mouth closed here. Okay, smile here. Do this. Do that. And that would help me. And then when we got into character development. That was awesome. Like it was a part where we would just like not even juggle at all, put music on, move with the feeling. And this really helped me into my professional career of when we work together and we start working on new shows, it was like, okay, what character you want to do? Okay, now put this style into this character. When you pick up the ball, what is this? Okay, what are you going to go? Tell the story for this. Now move your face like this. Like if his, his idea, we had a makeup and his was sad. And so he moved sad and I would be like happy. 
but I would also be excited about everything I see. So then we create that character throughout and we try never ever to break character for picking up a prop or if we're just looking at the audience and doing something. And to me, that was way more difficult than just doing the juggling trick, you know? And these are things I learned at a young age where I felt like so thankful to just have that experience to work with him. And did, uh, did Vladimir Zarkov choose your, your character because you're sort of excitable? I mean, you, you tend to get very enthusiastic. Is, did he sort of notice that and say, that should be your character? Uh, he said I had a nice smile. I mean, he said things that he <laughs> okay. enjoyed. He said there was a lot of things that he excited, like was excited about me doing on stage. I was, oh, that was great when you were, you grabbed the pins like this and then you went for this certain style of trick or you handed me the ball and then I put it on the back of your neck and then you juggle it this way and then we take it off the ground and I put it here and we put it there. So a lot of it is, it, it's just experimentation. And I really believe that if any juggler wants to learn a new act or create something, uh, whoever's listening to this, I recommend, yeah, put on your favorite music, put on the things that you really like, that you feel is completely your own style, and then juggle to that. And then from there, try to create the act. I mean, we used, obviously, editing music, and so we would edit certain styles, and you can always edit to what you want, but important that you first come with a feeling, you know? So Vladimir was very much like, okay, have a, you have to love it. You have to have a passion for it. And if you show your passion that you love it on stage first, then the audience will connect with you. If you just sit there and don't love it, then there's no point in juggling. But it's, it's kind of like, okay, just sit up there and juggle. So he was all about, I was like, hey, what do you think of this trick? What do you think of that trick? He's like, oh, I really don't like tricks. I really like more the performer. Right, right. He didn't like tricks. And I was like, what do you think of juggling? He's like, I really don't. He likes juggling, but not much. It's more of the, of the sure. character and the performer and then letting that sell. It's like Paul Pons was saying about, about being that when he practices, he practices as a juggler. But when he's on stage, he's on stage as an entertainer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so the thing was this, then eventually I started learning. You asked about how my practice schedule was and what we did instead is that we'd first do about an hour of technical. So I would just like, he would watch me and I would do five balls and then I'd do six and I would do seven and then I do clubs and so forth. Right. And then he said, okay, no more technical. Now we're going to practice the show and we're going to practice from the beginning to the end. No stops, no starts. If something does happen, learn something new that you can actually create out of that drop or if there's something that didn't go right, you will create something that sometimes magical things happen out of things you don't plan. And that's always the case. And so the, the more of creation process I loved. And we did a whole hour to two hour practice of just that. Sometimes we'd go through the whole act with character because it's all about landing the downbeats of whatever measure or doing the six count or eight count and then landing everything solid. So we knew right when we did our first step on stage, we knew what we were doing till the last step on stage with the music. And sometimes we didn't even do it with clubs. And it's important, like you were saying, that to sort of do it without stopping because in a performance situation, you're not going to be able to stop. So to practice that way is probably more important than sort of going to a certain point and then you drop and go, oh, I'm going to start over because you want to get a perfect yeah. run in. Adam Cariotis, a good friend, he, man, he, he would tell me, okay, count your, count your right throws, your left throws, and, and just count things, kind of think things through. But his biggest thing was like, once you press play, don't press stop and just go through right through the axe. So that helped me in my practice and so forth. And, uh, you know, just people telling me like, okay, just keep going. And that was like very beneficial then. Oh man, we messed up. Let's start over. And how long did you work with uh, Vladimir Zarkov and how many shows you think you did with him? Oh, we did many, many shows, probably over a hundred shows at different sort corporate events. And that was a very awesome time in my life. And were these uh, events you would fly around or were they pretty much all in Florida? Were they all across the United States or where were these events held? Uh, both. Most of the time we did it in, uh, in uh, Florida and Orlando. Cause he wanted to stay, he wanted to stay with his family, but sometimes we'd fly out and we did a lot of events. Uh, we'd fly out from different States and we'd fly into a hotel, you know, stay in a nice hotel. 
And you're pretty young still, right? You're like 18, 19 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good early uh, professional experience for you. Absolutely. I was so very thankful. Like, I still this day, I'm very thankful for that opportunity because I think that really opened the door for me to see really high quality acts. I guess at that time, too, I, this is a big important thing. If those who want to really get into juggling or performing professionally is don't always hang out with jugglers. I hanged out more with hand-to-hand balance guys and and uh, chiffon and like chair acts because I liked their acts so much. I was like, wow, such an amazing act. See them on stage because I would watch them after I did my show and to be with them and then have them critique my own style from a from a different juggling point of view because jugglers will have their own oh it's not this trick but when you have someone fresh and some new mind then they're like wow i like the idea the visual that you did this and that's when i learned with vladimir that a lot of my tricks wasn't always to be like you know the side swipe this that it was also it was more to be like oh wow like if you did five club back crosses that's a beautiful trick if you did seven balls nice big in the air like you know victor key does that's a visual trick so i started at a young age learning what looks beautiful on stage and what's visually good with nice makeup nice costumes nice lights with nice shows sure very professional yeah to this day i'm very thankful for that and then i i did about two years uh with vladimir he wanted to work be with more of his family and he was like okay now it's your time to do more solo stuff and so then i took my crazy mind into doing more like a cirque style acts where i I basically had this huge mohawk. I remember you with the huge mohawk. What when when uh Yeah, that, I remember seeing you at a convention. I forget that uh That was uh, Winston Salem. Winston Salem. Yep, yep. Yeah, I actually got to meet uh Victor Key there. I was so super happy. Victor Key actually uh he came from Vic, uh, Circus Keith school and he knew Vladimir Zarkov and Vladimir Zarkov uh, his director was uh, Valentin Gnyoshev, which was amazing. So um, I think Victor Key would have had Nikolai, but th- what I'm saying is a lot of Russians came from directors, and it was nice to have Vladimir be kind of a mentor director to me. What kind of stunts and stuff were you doing in your solo? Still doing the Diablo, or was it, or had it morphed by that point? At that time, Diablo was kind of like just something I was just doing for fun. I learned one and two Diablos, and that was it. Once I went to, you know, I saw Lanube, and I saw the Chinese girls, I was like, every Chinese woman and every Chinese kid is, like, doing Diablo. So (laughs) that was it. I mean, Diablo's awesome. I still love it. And it looks cool with LEDs and stuff. But I really, once I started working with Vladimir, and uh, I really love balls, and I really love clubs. And I still love balls and clubs to this day. You're a toss juggler, yeah. Yeah, I really, I basically decided to incorporate an act towards that. And I had this really cool spike costume with, this, with a mohawk. And I and I still I still have it today. Do you like to watch other jugglers who do like Ignatov? Or do you also like uh, Chris Cremo, that style as well? Oh, Chris Cremo is awesome. Okay, I love every type of juggling. I okay. love Me too. all types of performing. Because when it comes down to it, you have the contemporary style of Sergei Ignatov. I studied a lot of that you know, circus style, and then the modern style with Victor Key and Vladimir Zarkov, with that Russian style. Then you have the more the American style of, of uh, you know, West Pena now, and you have uh, Anthony Gatto, and then you have Chris Cremo, you know, the gentleman juggler. I mean, Chris Cremo, I, I would watch him, and obviously his dad, you know, when they were doing the duo act stuff, I would watch videos of that. Yeah, I, I love that stuff, because I love not just about the juggling, because I grew up with balls, clubs, rings, the elbow, double sticks. I mean, I have a whole storage um, I have, I call it my workshop, my whole storage space. I have 60 different clubs. And when I was working with Vladimir, he was big on like make different clubs. It's not about juggling the club. It's about juggling a unique prop that the audience can really kind of relate to. So I would make, I would take all the Henry's. I have, uh, renegades. I have all stuff and I broke them all in pieces and I made new clubs that I did with the Mohawk act and different styles. And so I have a whole storage full of all these, uh, crazy props. Like my good friend, Bill Barry from Rootberry, he always told me, he's like, dude, it's exactly like me, man. I have a whole storage full of all these crazy props. You should see my, uh, you see my garage, Lucy and I, <laughs> I think I have a few crazy props there myself. 
<laughs> Everybody's laughing now because you and everyone that's listening to this is the same way. We're as jugglers, we create this whole workshop full of props, and it's just who we are. No, no, some people are specialists. Some people, uh, some people pick one thing. They're like, well, I just juggle balls, and some people are like, no, juggling is everything that I can touch with my hands is fair game. I even saw he was saying something about like, yeah, man, it's going to be diversified. And it's it's so good to be kind of like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You should kind of do a couple of things. But in a way, you're also going to find out what you really love. And for doing all those different props when I was a kid, going to those, uh, a juggling club when I was really young, to doing the IJA when I first experienced it, I did everything. Balls, clubs, rings, the Owl Devils, bounce balls. And to this day, I still like the unicycle. I still like doing many things. But of course, balls and clubs are where I kind of did more of a Cirque style act that I later on started performing more of. And of course, uh, Ivan, it's good to be versatile and diverse if you're doing like long shows. If you have to do, if you're doing a six minute act, you can kind of specialize. But the modern juggler, especially in America, to you be able to do your own show of 50 minutes or 60 minutes, corporates or cruises, you better be diversified if you're going to do a whole show as a juggler. Uh, if you're just doing toss juggling with no auxiliary props, you know, no unicycles or... Uh, yeah. ping pong balls or things like that so yeah i mean a guy like ivan uh, must do 20 different props or something well yeah ivan was a great uh inspiration for me too and so was the root berry uh jonathan uh root bill berry lived in uh, orlando florida at the time now jonathan lives in texas and bill lives in tampa but i grew up a lot with these guys and they were just a fun bunch of guys and they really helped me uh because you know i'm american and speak english and i want to do more of a variety show too as well so i started creating more of my own 30-minute act besides my other Cirque shows. And so they really, Bill was an awesome mentor and a friend of mine. Did you like uh, doing the comedy and talking on stage? Did that come natural to you to do this 30-minute show? Was that something uh, you felt good doing? Yeah, you be honest, I actually do love it. It's it's fun. It, it allows me, because here's the thing. I was like, oh man, I really love the Cirque act. I love having the six-minute act and traveling. But there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I miss risking my life for other people's entertainment, doing some dangerous stuff. And I really like doing Home for Unicycle machetes now. And I really like doing these funny comedy bits that I just thought of in my head and said, okay, let's just do it. In a way, when you do the circuit act, you're also you're behind that makeup, you're behind that costume, you're behind that music, and everyone gets that style, that theme. But in a way, you can't speak out really maybe what's on your mind. What was great about doing now the variety stuff too is because now I can try new things I thought of, oh, yesterday. Like just the other day, I did Real Radio 104.1, and I did this awesome show, this rock show, and I themed my music to rock music, and I juggled a chainsaw. And I was like, oh, my God, this was awesome. And I did some stuff that I've never done as what I did in the past with all my Cirque shows, but now I do it on stage, and I'm like, wow, I'm doing both ventures now. I'm doing the, the Variety American Style Act, and I'm now doing the Circus 10-Minute Act. Yeah, like Ivan said, being diversified does help now these days to market yourself, and I think that really is a great thing, a great asset for me to use my value of not just who I am as a, as a Cirque performer, but also as a, a Variety performer as well. And you talked about traveling. You've been able to do a lot of traveling because I think I remember like one of your jobs was I think with a, a big Disney production or something like that. And you got to travel extensively in Asia. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. So what I did is I did a tour and I drove uh, for Disney and I did uh, about 25 countries in the past wow. two years. Uh, this was just before I did this Universal gig. And uh, I was I was pretty much uh, juggling almost Every every day had a couple of days off during the week, and we'd uh, like I, we did Japan. That was the last one I did. And I was there for four months. Did about fourteen cities. So I learned a little bit of Japanese. I love Japan. What did you just say in Japanese there? I I think you just called me a bad name, but I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. What did you just say in Japanese for our listeners? <laughs> 
I said I speak a little bit of Japanese. And uh, and what I what I recommend to anybody that goes to a country is yeah, learn the language, man. I mean, and learn some fun words too. Learn like freaking awesome, like Zajebistia in Polish is Polish, and Mitchaine is awesome. And these are fun words that you just say to someone that's from that you know, that country who's just gonna love you, and they'll take you out, and they'll take you whatever nightclub and enjoy good times with, and learn the culture. Being with the culture, obviously Japanese have a different way of giving the business card and greeting it. And they love they love gifts. They love presents. I mean, here's the thing about Japan, man. I was in Japan. I had all these big gifts and all this packaging. Everything has packaging in it, but there's no trash can. <laughs> You'd walk down like a street and there'd be no trash cans. And you're like carrying all this stuff because you don't want to throw it away. Did you buy any of the uh, $80 gift melons? Like they have a like one cantaloupe will cost like $80 or something? Well, yeah, here's it. Limes and lemons were super expensive because obviously they got to import it. But uh, the sushi, super cheap. And if you go to a 7-Eleven, 7-Elevens are like uh, a heaven there. All right, thank God. Thank heaven for 7-Eleven because when you walk in there, they got sushi, they got sashimi, they got ready-to-made meals. And then when you go and you go to the uh, the clerk, you say, I thought they made a kudasai, which means warm, please. And they will go ahead and heat it up. Yeah, they're, they're heating up that sushi. That's always, That sounds very tasty. No, no, no. They heat up, the, they heat up like some, some soup, like udon or ramen. Right? That's the problem with that sashimi for me is they don't cook it, cook it enough. I like it a little more, a little more well done. Yeah, like it flipping on the, on the plate, right? Yeah, I've been to Japan a couple of times. I, it's one of my favorite places to go. Ah, exactly. Then you know what I'm talking about, man. And it, and it's cool about it is that they will put it like in the bag and they'll roll the hashis up and say, uh, you know, arigatouzaimashita. I mean, the hospitality is amazing in Japan. If you're definitely a performer, definitely go to Japan. The crowds are great. I mean, the people are awesome. The only weird thing is that they don't jaywalk, which is not, I mean, you shouldn't jaywalk anyways. But if you're like two, three in the morning, you know, I mean, there's no cars around. I was going to cross the street, but then... For some reason, there was a couple of people just still waiting, and they would wait for the choo-choo-choo-choo. It's like this bird They, they, they right? obey the laws there. They follow the rules. <laughs> yeah, right? That's American law, Rick. You want to hear something crazy? I almost, sure. like, I almost got arrested in Japan. You want to hear that? Of course. As long as it doesn't involve uh, butt shaking or Okay, so check other... this out. Of course, I got a juggle in Japan, and I go to Shibuya Station, and I'm doing a five-ring color change. Right, Shibuya, that's where the... Like the young people hang out. Shibuya. Well, yeah, Shibuya is also is also the place where they have like that famous spot where it's like five different areas where everyone crosses the street at once. It's like a thousand people across the street every like five, you know two minutes, right? So it's a huge, huge station. So everyone crosses, all the lights change at a certain time, and everyone crosses at once, and then the cars go. Okay, so I'm out there and I'm like, all right, I gotta do this. I want to juggle. I want to get a you know video of me doing a five ring color change, and then boom, because like you know we're changing. Changing lights and changing rings. It's kind of chain color. Yeah, in the middle of the street, right? Okay, so I do it, and everyone's crossing. And I do a five-ring color change, and then eventually I'm doing the color change, and I finally see it's like there's less people walking next to me. And sooner or later, boom, I hear the car started coming, and I grab the rings, and I finish the color change, and I run off. And luckily, like, there's a cop saying, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. But, wow, that was a really <laughs> close call there. So, yeah, but, this, I mean, Japan is awesome. Great people. I definitely love Japan. I was in Japan. I was in Scotland. I was in Sweden. I was in Netherlands. I was in uh, Mexico, Canada. And do you do any kind of a juggling kind of outreach when you do you sort of look for jugglers in these different places? Or do you just, uh, just yeah. not, not have enough time to kind of see if there's any, any local jugglers? Well, sometimes you're like in a hotel and you do a show, and then the next next day you're already travel travel day and you're going to the next city. But I was lucky to have some days off. Or like when I was in Sweden, I went to the uh, the Doc School, which is obviously the Sweden college. Where I saw like Tony Pezzo there; he was out there. And then I saw Wes Peden at uh, Circus Decor, so that's in Stockholm, Sweden. And then yeah, you get time to to hang out in different countries. You get a couple of days off. 
Uh, when I was in Philippines, I did that a lot. I had a whole month in Philippines where actually there was a couple of kids that were just from, you know, certain parts that probably wasn't the best side of town. But in Manila, I would go ahead and do a show. And I did a great show for them, for their company. And a lot of times in, in, in Philippines, they speak great English. And there's, I don't know if people know, but they all do is telemarketing. And so uh, one night they all work at a, at the night hours, but in the day hours, you know, they usually go to sleep or whatever. So at nighttime, they had this huge market, like all this awesome street food. So if you're ever to Manila, the food is amazing. Speak a little Tagalog, you know, masarap, which means delicious, all that kind of stuff. Right, and, right. you know, learn a little, little Tagalog and you can have like pig's face. Yeah, I like a good pig's face. Yeah, that's tasty. You can eat like chicken, chicken intestines. <laughs> it, is, it is insane, man. I mean, yeah, the, the resting food pig there is face. wild. Yeah, right. But you got to try it. And so I went there and I was like, you know what? Let me just do a show for these people. And so I did a big show for everyone. And I mean, they were awesome. They were so thankful. They're a great crowd. So Asia, Thailand, I got to I got to juggle on a, on an elephant, five clubs. That was super cool. Didn't plan that. You know the problem if you drop while you're juggling on an elephant? What? They never, they never forget. <laughs> a little levity there. A little levity to your yeah, elephant yeah. juggling story. Just want that yeah, I'd chime yeah, in with yeah. that. So it's awesome tour. I, I enjoyed going there. And then after my tour, I, I uh, got a call to Universal saying, hey, we'd love to open up this uh, show that I'm doing now for this fish market. And so that's that's where I am here today. How long do you think we'll stay with this show you're with currently? Well, right now, um, I'm so happy my, my family's, uh, my mom and my dad live here just south of uh, Orlando, by Sarasota. So I actually, uh, my dad's getting older and I've been on tour for a long time traveling. I wanted to come home and stay with my family. So right. if I can stay hopefully another year, that'd be great. But if I go on a tour and do another show or some Cirque shows, that'll be, you know, I'll be awesome with that too. But I, I'm very thankful for right now just being with my family. I love being with my family. I love spending time with my, my brother, my twin brother. He's the most talented and amazing guy I know. I mean, he's got a, a master's in business and master's in uh, engineering. He's Super cool. He's he's what got me to go back to school and get my degree. I mean, I'm just not a professional juggler. I went back after a year with Vladimir. There was a downtime right. in our, our recession, kind of our economy. And it made me just like, I was doing jobs where I would just go and do drape. I don't know, like drape. So it's, it's when you do these stages, right? We have these big shows. And then they have this black drape on the back of the of the uh, stage. So I got, I was getting jobs because I wasn't always getting juggling and I was working these jobs. I was working with like, you know, inmates or people that, you know, people who are super cool and have the best stories, right? I mean, so you're talking like around 2008 or so, like when the reset, you sort of, you took a job doing kind of a, installing these draperies? Yeah. So I just would go and do these shows where we do these big convention halls and we just put up drape and then they have a big show. And sometimes it was, it was one day I did a big hall where we did the whole drape of the show and it was like really nice and they had nice lighting and a big stage. And they were like, oh, I was actually doing that show later on juggling. So the guys that were doing the drapes saw me. <laughs> so you set up and you did the show later that night. They were, I did it with a different company doing doing my show, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna go juggle." So they were, they were happy to see me actually perform. And I was like, "Yeah, this is what I do." So that was really cool one time. But uh, in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? If I don't, you know, something does happen if my left my left arm falls off, right, or whatever. So you went back to school. Yeah, I want to plan. You know, I would love to have a, something on my plan, a plan B. B in a way. Yeah. So, but I don't like thinking of that because I love juggling so much. But in my mind. I did. And so I went back to school. I, I spent a year and a half, to make a long story short, spent a year and a half, went back to school, and I graduated with a magnum cum laude, like in finance. What does it actually mean, magnum cum laude? I don't, you know, I've heard that expression so many times. Yeah. What does so it actually top, mean, magnum cum laude? Top 5% of my class. Oh, top, so that's the top 5%. 3.7 GPA, yeah. Yeah, wow, I was very happy with that. I was, I was definitely a super nerd, just, just pretty much went to school. What, didn't what talk was to your, I'm sorry, what was the, the major again? What did you study? Uh, business finance. Business finance, okay. Has that been helpful in your life? 
Absolutely. Uh, the reason why I went did business finance is because I wanted to finance my entertainment, finance my juggling. And I learned a lot with working with Vladimir. I learned a lot just doing my own stuff before I went to uh, college that it's not just about what you do on stage. It's about understanding backstage. And I want to know my own business, my own contracts, understanding negotiations, understanding how to market myself. And my big, my brother, Lance was my twin brother. He's, he's worked with Lockheed Martin. He's already a head manager guy. And so he was, we would have lunches when he would be with entrepreneurs and, and guys who were doing venture capitalists and, and hedge funds. And I was like, wow, like these guys are wearing tailored suits. They're all super, super definitely professional. And I was like, you know what? I want to have lunch with these guys. So I had lunch with these guys and that kind of got my mindset of like, you know what? I want to put this way of their thought, the way they're thinking into my own program of how I do my own professional career. And I feel like school of going back to college has helped me create this 15 years of professional performing in my life today. And I'm super thankful for that. I, I'm proud. And if those who are, you know, thinking about going back to school, you can do it. You can still be a professional juggler and get your degree. And if you get the right degree, I mean, Niels Dunker's got an engineering degree. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, Brandon Cabral's got a degree. And there's a lot of guys who have degrees. And even if you don't have a degree, you have a hard knocks degree. You know, Bill Berry, I mean, there's a lot of people who are awesome, man, that just know like the books. Bill Berry has helped me so much with marketing and, and professionalism and entrepreneurship. I had a talk with Charles Peachock the other day and Charles Peachock lives in Orlando now and now he's got audio ape so it's like he, these are entrepreneurs when you're a professional juggler you are your own business and you are your own entrepreneur you yeah that here uh, we just used the audio ape for the first time me and Barry just yeah, just our last like show it. great great product there you go there you go Charles if you listen to this I just you know helped you out there <laughs> well, actually I've talked to Charles and he's actually going to be a, a sponsor and an interview subject on an upcoming awesome. podcast because Charles is another great uh, professional juggler yeah, yeah, he's super cool, man. Super fun guy to like, you know, pick his brain and, and talk to. And that I would definitely like like to listen to that podcast as well. He's he's been a great great inspiration to me as well. I mean, there's so many people I've known in my life that have helped me. And so what I'm trying to say is, school was great. You go back to school, but now to know that business for me is just keeping my own, you know, aspect of myself afloat with with juggling. And do you use that knowledge also to to invest and sort of? With your finances, how do you feel about the importance of sort of understanding the the financial end of being a professional juggler? Uh, financial end, here's the thing with entertainment. You make a lot of money in a short amount of time, okay? But the big thing is actually understanding how long that money will last. So I've learned a lot about budgeting. I learned a lot about saving and understanding where to put my investments. If I do want to go ahead and invest in certain ass assets like real estate or you know financial assets. But what's more important for me is that <laughs> as any juggler, I tend to spend a lot of my money back on juggling. Props. Sure, reinvest in prop. We all do that. We all reinvest in my own business. But what I'm saying is that just going to school has really helped me just to have that financial it literacy. It you too. And, it broadens and, you. And that, and that education to help me in, in what I do now. And 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 to me, uh, in, a, in a business, in juggling, people like to say, oh, yeah, I want to be a professional juggler. I want to do this. I want to get into entertainment. But they just get entertainment to be in entertainment, and then they learn that it's a lot hard work. It's not something that, you know, you have a day off. I talked to Jonathan Wee the other day, you know, and he was like, yeah, you, you can't have a part-time job. You either have to go in deep and just do it. And it's every day being a juggler. I juggle every day. I go. I just got out of juggling today. I went back and I juggled some more, and then now I'm here. Or I'm working on like yesterday. I just worked on editing a video, or I worked on the music for my next show, or I'm doing things. And if you don't do it, no one's gonna do it. And if you expect agencies or certain people to help you do it, then maybe they will. But then you're also gonna be like, oh, they're not gonna do it the way I really want to do it. Why? Because we're all obsessed, right? I mean, that's why we're good at what we do because we are obsessed. We're 
very detailed, you know, and that's important that you need that passion. You need that. It's like you said in the beginning, at a certain point, you have to say to yourself, I've decided with my life to be a full-time professional juggler. Once you make that commitment, you go from being someone who juggles to becoming a juggler. Right. Well, here's the thing. I didn't come from a circus family. Like a lot of jugglers, you know, came from these circus families and so forth. And, and some, obviously, also, who I know really well, too, didn't come from a circus family and then had to do it on their own. And as Amer- Americans, a lot of times now that we're watching this YouTube and this and that, everyone's just like, okay, cool, I'm going to be a juggler. But there's a lot more things behind that where you're actually learning it. And I feel so thankful to be around so many strong performers in my life that have helped me. You know, even you, Dan, I feel thankful to meet you. and, and to have <laughs> A lot of strong performers. Had. And even Dan, too. <laughs> yeah, no, Daniel, you've been awesome. And I'm like, the things you've told me off you know, off tape and so forth. You've been, sure. you've I, give you, I give you the benefit and of I'm, my, my yeah. wisdom as I do with I'm many so jugglers. I'm so happy you're doing who... this podcast. It's so cool. And like, here's the thing. Not everyone can be a Chris Cramo, right? You know, like Chris Cramo juggles with uh, the royalties. He juggled with the royalties when he was younger with his dad. He came from that certain style. But Chris Cramo was a super nice guy. I met him. Here's a funny story. You want to hear a funny story about Chris Cramo? Sure. He's one of my favorite jugglers. I'd love to hear a funny story about Chris Cramo. Chris Cramo and I, we both one time met at an airport. I was walking down the airport and I was like, holy cow, that's Chris Cramo. This is in the States. And I saw him and I was like, hey, Chris Cramo. And he was like, oh, hey. And I was like, hi, I'm Lucian Fuller. <laughs> you know, and I was like, hey, man, I'm a big fan, you know, but I really. Had you met him before love. or you just recognized him from videos? I, I met him before. I met him from the IJA and so forth, right? So I was like, oh my God. Like, and, and I remember he might have saw me or something, but. I remember he was like very, very nice, very polite. And he was like, I was like, hey, would you like to have lunch? And I was like, all right. And he's like, sure. And so I went uh, to this deli and I remember, <laughs> this is a funny story, but I went and I was like, hey, I'll get, I'd like to get a, a sandwich and uh, I want this turkey sandwich and uh, can I get some Swiss cheese on it? And the lady was like, okay. And then Chris Cameron ordered his uh, sandwich and he was like, oh yeah, I'll get the same thing. And yeah, I'll get some Swiss cheese too. And then the deli lady was like, sorry, that was our, that was our last piece of Swiss cheese. So the story is that I took uh, uh, Chris Cremo's last pair of Swiss cheese. But he's like... He Chris Cremo's story is that you like, you took the last piece of cheese, and instead of being Swiss a gentleman cheese. and giving the famous great no, Chris Cremo the cheese, no, you said, no, sorry, said Chris, it. I am too important. I must eat the cheese myself. Is that where is that where the story is going? I said, no, wait, you can have the cheese. You can have my sandwich. Of course, said, of course you said you can have the cheese. What else would you do? You don't take Chris Cremo's cheese, man. You don't do it. <laughs> He said, no, I have plenty of Swiss cheese in my country. That's fine. And then, and then we had a great conversation, and he talked about like how he likes to ride horses. Did he actually say he had a, plenty of Swiss cheese in his country, like since he's Swiss? That, did he actually refer back to his country? Yeah, yeah, of course. He's like, I have plenty of Swiss cheese in my like country. Like when I go home, I'll have plenty of cheese. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was super awesome, man. He talked about you know, how he rode horses and his, his family. It was, it was a great conversation. Yeah, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a hold of Chris to be on the podcast as well. All right, I, we're gonna sort of wrap up now, Lucian. We're getting towards the end. Can I ask you a question though? Sure. Yeah. So here's my here's my question. I saw you juggle. One of the first times I saw you was juggling on the Johnny Carson show, right, with Barry. Okay, that was super awesome. Okay, you guys. <laughs> it was super awesome. Thank you. Okay. These passion these machetes. Yeah, and those who are listening, passion these machetes, spinning this ball on your mouse stick. Right. And then. Uh, and you're about you're about you're about to uh, to jump past the machetes. And you're spinning the ball on your mouse stick. But let me tell you, how hard is it was it to spin that ring around your foot? Trick you're talking about is we get a volunteer in the middle. Is this a serious question, Lucian, or what? Is this? Yeah, yeah, it's a serious question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So the trick is we get a volunteer in the middle. We spin a a, a soccer ball on a stick 
you know, like a mouth stick, a cr- uh, angled right, mouth stick. Right, right. And at the same time, we revolve a hoop on, uh, I, I do it on my right ankle. We both do it on our right ankles. You know, the hard part about the most, the hardest part about that trick is starting together on time. Like if I do that trick by myself, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. well, I'm telling you, I mean, because, uh, like if I do that trick by myself, like I do a combination trick where I spin a hoop on my ankle, I do poi, I juggle, I play a horn, and I spin a plate all at the same time. But I can kind of start the juggle when I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable with the balance. When you're, when you're doing passing and you're both spinning the, the ring, you kind of have to start together. So even if you're kind of off balance, you got to make that first throw when it comes to you. And I always found that to be the hardest part is that was starting together and making sure that you both were were balanced at the same time. How, how many hours did you guys practice like uh, when you guys were getting that trick or just what do you guys do with practicing? I think it was just more the amount of times we did it because we, we used to do a lot of Renaissance fairs, and a lot of shows where we would do eight or nine shows in a day. In fact, our record was uh, 21 shows in two days at a place in Galveston, wow. Texas. So, you know, you do that trick 10, 11 times in a day and every show would end with that. That was our finale trick, you know, before we would pass the yeah. hat. Because when we did that many shows, it was mostly street performing because uh, if we were working just for tips or mostly for tips, we knew the more right. shows we did, the more money we'd make. So we really weren't that big on sort of practicing because we sort of did so many shows. So but that's the uh, best practice. I always say like the best practice yeah. is performing. That's the best practice. That's where people learn. You well, know? That's, that's where fairs because whenever you're in a place where they didn't really come specifically to see you, like a lot of people now, I think, perform at juggling festivals. And the audience is there to sort of see them juggle and to see other jugglers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. give right. them support. Like if you do a renaissance fair where people are there to be entertained, and they don't care if you're being entertained by a whip act or a juggling act or jousting, and they might be drunk and they might be like have short attention spans, you learn to kind of be entertaining with the juggling, that you realize that juggling by itself doesn't entertain everybody, that you need to be entertaining with the juggling. And I think that helps a lot as a performer. Absolutely. Did you guys have, have a long uh, practice schedule with just you and Barry, though? Just so I ask, because I'm, I'm curious about my own practice schedule, because I do a pretty in-depth practice. But how long do you guys practice you and Barry? Well, I mean, we used to practice individually. Like I did solo a lot of time before I, I teamed up with Barry. And by the time we teamed up, we were both pretty experienced and we we're pretty, you know, we certainly had enough skills to do the act. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we could pass eight and nine clubs. And wow. I think I was doing seven balls at that time and stuff like that. But at my peak, when I was like 18, 19, I used to practice four hours a day. I would do two hours early in the day. And then I went to Valley College, uh, junior college. And I would do another two hours after school. So I try to hit four hours a day. When That's I what I'm doing now. I'm doing six, six, six shows and then I do two hours afterwards. But I do that, that what I told you. I do one hour technical and then one hour of uh, performance where I just go through my show over and over and over. And then I have like a juggling journal that I write everything down. So I make sure I hold myself accountable to making sure like, like I have this thing where after two weeks you forget stuff or you won't want to do it again. Well, having a juggling journal, you'll do it every single day. You'll keep yourself accountable. And uh, yeah, that, that's exactly well, kind of what I think I it's important now. to know, cool. if, awesome. you're, good to know if you're still getting better. Like I think it's important to know like, like if you say to yourself, I'm not as good a juggler as, I can, as I'll be one day or I'm still getting to be the juggler I can be one day. Like for myself, I think I realized that technically I already was the juggler I can be, you know, as far as pure technical ability. I mean, certainly I can practice things that are of lower sort of difficulty, like a tennis ball and can for myself or, you know, my own toys that I yeah. invent and prop. Well, here's the thing. You have all these cool new toys. How much 
practice did you put just on that one toy when you were learning something new? Well, right now I have this new toy that I invented and it just ordered uh, 5,000 from China. They'll be here uh, a month or two and I'll start advertising them here on the podcast. And the thing with this toy is, and I think it's the thing that really helps you the most is it's what I want to do, like with my time, like it's what I want to do just for fun. So if I'm saying to myself, like, oh, I have some free time. So I'm putting like maybe two or three hours a day into my toys right now. I have two that I'm just mainly focused on. So it's just more a matter of just the desire to do it is so strong that like when I was on this cruise ship recently, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it, it really kept my sanity because what I like to do with one of these toys is to walk, like walk the deck. I'm able to sort of do it while I walk. So I'll put on my Walkman and I'll, I'll grab my toy and I'll just walk around the deck like a crazy person, you know, <laughs> and I can do it for hours because for me, because it's so involving in that not only is it a toy I invented, but I'm inventing all the tricks awesome, where awesome. not only do you invent the prop, but of course then you have to invent every single trick. So when I'm, when I'm doing something I invented, like a toy or something, it's so satisfying to kind of be like, well, there's a reason for me to get better. And the reason is it's my toy. It's my prop. Yeah. And, and I'm the best in the world because no one else does it. So I don't know. It's just satisfying to me and it's easy for me to practice long hours if I'm that passionate. If I don't have something like that and I'm just practicing like juggling to sort of keep my act sharp, I might do 20 or 30 minutes a day just to keep my act sharp. Well, you can do, I mean, I've learned from Vladimir to do 20, 30 minutes solid. Yeah. And what I've been told and, and what I do now is I actually put my favorite song for like five minutes and I'll just have that one song for five minutes doing just that one trick, right? So if that's, it's crotch, if it's crotch throws or body throws, whatever you want to call them or, you know, right. Alberts. Alberts. If you do that, do that one trick for that, that length of that song and then you go in the next song, you do something completely different and then you do, and then you go back to that trick later on and then you just let it go and the next day your mind will actually be practicing it in your head while you're dreaming or thinking about it and then when you wake up the next day i'll notice that when i actually do it the next day i'm getting it better i'm getting progression and then i use my journal to like write down okay how many throws did i did this time and i'll try to always make sure i do really good at my starts and my finishes so if those are who are probably listening to this it's very important your starts and stops so i would practice more now, I wouldn't do five clubs for like a long endurance. I would do five for about, you know, 20 catches and stop and do that about five times out of five. Once I'm there, I stop with when the song is done and go to completely something different. And that is allowing myself to progress within that one hour of practice about, you know, six or seven different tricks. Not doing a bunch of tricks, but doing those solid tricks for what they are for the show. Do you think you'll and, uh, maybe compete at the IJ one day or what uh, are you working on new routines to perform or what do you sort of focus on with your practice? Uh, right now, I'm doing some cool stuff where actually uh, Victor gave me this idea where uh, you, you basically turn off the uh, uh, turn off the lights, and I I videotape myself in the night vision, and so I'm trying to create new ideas where I want to see more how my body moves on stage. And a lot of times, what people do is they'll they'll videotape themselves or they'll look themselves in the mirror and they'll try dancing with the music, but you'll still think in your mind, oh, you know, maybe I won't do this because I look kind of weird right now because it's in the moment. But if you turn the lights off you don't see much and then you move around with the camera then you can kind of see more of really like oh wow when you watch the video from there it was a great idea they gave me this and you, you watch it from night vision now you can see how your body moves if you're going for a certain character because a lot of times i like to say i like to do things with characters so if i move with a certain character and then i do everything with that juggling trick and that style of character like i move my my back this way or, or if I, I walk a certain way then i will i'll feel it first 
And then I'll watch it in the video with the night vision. And later on, I'll say, oh, that's what I do. Because sometimes you can't always do it if you're watching it in a mirror or you're trying to see what it looks like. So now I'm starting to just try new creations of like how I move with character and then put that into the act. So yeah, it, it is a complicated thing, but that's how, that's how it works. People understand that six minute acts can be six years, but if you do it precisely in a way that's, you know, you have a plan, you have a, a schedule and you have things, yeah, you can get it done in a couple of years. If you're very, very you know precise with it and you, you go through the character, but it depends what kind of tricks you want to do big tricks. And I like big props. I like big things. And, I like to be a little bit different and creative. I definitely take that into my practices for sure. I think it's very important to stay, you know, like structured, using a plan. Even this, like the Swedish, like Emil Dahl gave me this thing where he's like, hey, this is my practice schedule. I was like, what is it? It had like eight balls. He at first had to do a, like a, a flash and then a qualified run and then go to nine balls, flash, qualified run. And that's kind of what I'm doing now in technical just to make sure that I land everything with good starts and good stops because I can focus more on the character and being a performer on stage than worrying about, oh, I got to catch seven balls, you know, and, and worry about my catches. Well, I always admire your enthusiasm, Lucian, and your passion. I think it comes across on the, the podcast that, you know, juggling is your thing and that uh, I'm sure we could go on and on about uh, our mutual love of juggling and what we hope to accomplish in this, this field. But I think our time has come to an end, and I really appreciate you sharing all these experiences with us and our the listeners on the Drop Everything podcast. So I wish you the best and happy holidays, and of course, uh, a great 2017 to the special guest for Drop Everything, this podcast, the great, the fantastic, Lucian Fuller. Thanks, Lucian. Thank you, Daniel. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoyed Drop Everything podcast number 39, my conversation with Lucian Fuller. He has a lot of energy, that Lucian. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with his juggling career. All right, before you go, let's thank our sponsors one more time, including the IJA. Where do I find the IJA, you're asking yourself? You find them at juggle.org. And what does the IJA do? The IJA is a great group of jugglers who put on a yearly festival and so much more. Speaking about the festival, don't forget, I am festival director this year in Cedar Rapids 2017, July 10th through the 16th. Join us, the IJA, at the yearly festival. Also, check out my personal coaching website, braindrizzles.com, and a big shout out to Gregory at G-Balls. That's G-Balls for all your juggling ball needs. He made me some very nice special juggling balls. So, if you need juggling balls, go to G-Balls. They're the best. All right. Now drop everything except when you're juggling.